You may have heard of the phrase, the Wild West. And whenever you hear that phrase, a few images may come to mind. Dirt roads, hot sun, wagons and saloons, riders on horseback, perhaps elegant ladies seemingly overdressed for the scorching weather. These are just a few of the pictures we might associate. But there are other images that may come to mind as well. Six shooters, cowboys, drunken fights, heavy gambling, duels to the death. And oh, those last couple of things were perfectly legal. From the days of the early settlers, colonists and frontiersmen slowly trickled into every nook and cranny of the North American region before finally stopping sometime in the early part of the 20th century. It was during this period of stark expansion that mining towns and small villages popped up, and with that came the aggressive nature of the human spirit. Law and order was hard to come by, for as towns pressed further and further out from civilization, certain groups and mercenaries took hold of the lack of general oversight, resulting in what we might also associate with the wild, wild west. On that note, there is no such western film that better depicts this clash than 1993's Tombstone, at least by my opinion. Though John Wayne and Clint Eastwood made the lone vigilante a popular figure in pop culture, it was this ensemble performance of Kurt Russell, Val Kilmer, Powers Booth, Michael Bean, Sam Elliott, and Bill Paxton, among others, that made Tombstone such a powerful piece of cinematic experience, exposing the tension that existed between the American dream of striking it rich while also having to watch your back lest someone shoot you when you weren't looking. I'm J.C. Alfelto, and this is episode 71 of The Writer's Lens, Tombstone and the Necessity of Law and Order. Welcome back to The Writer's Lens. This is J.C. Alfelto. And hey, if you're tuning back in, uh, sorry for the long delay here in episodes. Uh, but uh, hey, we are back at it here with episode 71. And it is going to be a fun one for me personally uh, because I love this movie, if you didn't catch that from the intro. Not that I'm a particularly huge fan of Westerns, but uh, Tombstone is writer as far as a creative and just the interest level that there is with the myths Wild Wild West. I'm talking about the Wild Wild West that actually an order and peacemakers and cowboys and outlaws and vigilantes and all this film. Uh, but before we get into that, I, some shameless self-promotion. If you share it with a friend, uh, someone who might be interested in some of the analyses I've been doing here on the little commentary and just uh, getting all of your answers to life's biggest problems, you can, uh, and Apple Podcasts, Pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. Uh, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this episode, dealing with tombstones. The life uh, towards, I don't know, middle or later life of his names uh, associated with the Wild West of America. He's a uh, Kansas uh, maker. Uh, he was a famous lawman at the time, and he was moving out west with his brothers, Virgil and Morgan Earp, and hoping to strike it rich in one of the new mining towns, uh, that were essentially popping up as uh, you know the frontier was continuing to move westward, expanding, expanding, expanding. Uh, so Wyatt Earp is the main character of this film, but he also is, like I said, part of an ensemble cast alongside Doc Holliday, uh, who was played by Val Kilmer in an amazing performance, as well as uh, Sam Elliott as uh, Virgil Earp, the eldest Earp brother, and then Bill Paxton, who plays Morgan Earp, the, the youngest Earp brother. So there's some pretty power-packed actors in this film, as it is, with Kurt Russell portraying Wyatt Earp, these characters um, in the film. 
But uh, but Tombstone, following the, uh, find themselves in the city of or the small town of Tombstone, becoming a city of Tombstone, Arizona. By Curly Bill Brocious uh, and Johnny Ringo, who's sort of his right hand man, and others being lawmen, the cowboys being lawless in some sense, and uh, all of this film, the uh, depiction of it, which featured the three brothers and Doc Holliday, posed standoff between Doc Holliday and Johnny Ringo, the famous. Whether it was Holiday, whether it was um, Wyatt Earp. Wyatt Earp, I think, proclaimed that he was the one that, because Ringo's body was found next to a tree. Uh, so if you want to take the deep dive into history, that we kind of get through this. So so like I said, Tombstone is this meshing of narratives. The Earp brothers are law-abiding citizens. Okay, They're guiding into a, a town and a space that is potentially quite lawless. Uh, led by, like I said, Curly Bill Brocious and Johnny Ringo to... Uh, partly more the villain of the of the story, and his right hand man Johnny Ringo is more of his psychopon lawlessness. They uh, there's an opening scene in the film where they essentially ransack police that are coming out celebrating. There's this large feast that they prepare red sashes that Curly Bill brings with him. He throws them out in front of them, and then they proceed to basically kill everybody. Bride, and we're basically given the insinuation that uh, they're taking her in to either rape her. Or but its imagery to me is important as well because it's big regard for uh, what is owed to people, what uh, what uh, people have been blessed by or are blessing each other with. They basically just take whatever they please and don't ask any questions. And there's a very ominous line here in the beginning where the priest who oversaw the wedding is speaking in Spanish and he's talking and quoting from the book of Revelation in the Bible, talking about a, uh, a white horse and a rider to come get them. Now, Johnny Ringo kills the priest, much to the, to the delight of Curly Bill. And Johnny Ringo, who we find out is a very well-versed guy, he's a very dangerous guy, quotes the, quotes the priest saying that a rider on a white horse uh, was, uh, was known as death and hell followed with him. And this is a line that is used later in the film to depict how the Earps will eventually get revenge against, uh, the, uh, against the cowboys for all their trespasses. But that's jumping way ahead in the story, but you're getting, again, like I said, the right, that's the idea. And eventually it's also going to catch up to the Earp family that made for keeping law in order. They 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 abide by the law, they, they acknowledge the law, and they can't just live in a world that doesn't operate under it. And that becomes the, the, the main conflict of the two parties. So Wyatt himself, who is what I would consider to be sort of the main player in this. It's an ensemble cast, but he is the main player in all of this, played by Kurt Russell. To me, he's torn between duty and dream. And what I mean by that is he has a duty to uh, his wife, Maddie, uh, and his life as a lawman uh, who restores the peace, uh, even though he's trying to get away, you know, being a, a former peacemaker. But he also has this dream of striking it rich with that historically he actually ends up getting with and he actually ends up marrying... <clears throat> But he has this very Eddie Earp, who uh, is constantly taking opiates uh, to quote, modern medicine, would have probably been able to figure that out at the time. But uh, self torn between these two things, the duty that he has as a man, and then the dream that he's trying to chase <clears throat> alongside with his brothers. And the question then becomes, can he actually get both? Well, in accordance with his marriage, no. But can he strike it rich? without having to be the lawmaking person that he is, without the history that he has, without the what it seems to be part of his nature. Is he able to avoid these things? 
And what I would argue is that in most cases with anything, uh, but especially in the way that this story plays out, in order to have the dream, the duties must be fulfilled first. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat that. In order to have the dream, the duties must be fulfilled first. Uh, other characters in the story, such as Virgil and Morgan, to become local law enforcers in Tombstone, and, and then, of course, this, like I said, escalates the lawless group within Tombstone. Uh, there's a really powerful scene, others, uh, when he is uh, pulling a, a young boy out of the streets of Chaucer Face, and Virgil uh, has his probably most convicting moment here, <clears throat> and then tells Wyatt later on, you know, hey, I'm, I'm here trying to feast on everything here, trying to strike it rich, making money off people like some kind of vulture, uh, which is a very poignant message. Uh, you know, and if we, and he also goes on to say, if we want any kind of future here, we've got to have some kind of law and order, which is the reason why he joins uh, up to be like a local sheriff. This to me shows, and I, I love how Virgil's, uh, or Sam Elliott's character, Virgil Earp, just spells this out, proclaims it very clearly in the story. Even though Wyatt does not want to get involved right away, he does because his brothers are, are getting involved. It just goes to show you how joy and law are actually intertwined. So let me explain further with a bit of an illustration that in sports such as football or baseball, there are rules that we have to follow in order for the game to progress forward. But even more so, in order for it to be enjoyable, we have to follow all, the, all those rules that are laid down. Because when everyone knows the rules... Everyone can watch what's happening and enjoy what's happening because there's there's a level of predictability, but you're still operating within those rules uh, of the game. You could say this is the same with like the game of life. As long as you're operating within those rules, you can find joy into another person. And when you're committed to that person, you say that rule, you can have great joy and intimacy with your spouse. But if people... The problem then is, is that you're not following the rules. Eventually that will catch up to you because it will allow for the maximum amount of joy to come out of that relationship. That's why it's there. Joy away, not just from yourself, but your spouse as well, even though you may think you're experiencing the same concept. I mean, if I look at sports and go back to that example, you know, look at the steroid era of baseball and how much that tainted the sport. The fact that guys were cheating behind the scenes. The fans themselves uh, were the ones that felt really cheated by all this. Like, hey, you know, we were cheering you guys on. We thought you were doing it cleanly, that you were following all the rules. No, you weren't. No, you weren't. Because now once you've broken the rules, everything falls into question, even if you're doing something great. That is uh, part of the, uh, you know, sort of the human nature of, of, of analyses on these things now. Every time I see a big guy in baseball now hits a, you know, 450-foot home run, and he's a big dude, like a Aaron Judge or a Giancarlo uh, Stanton, I, I kind of have to ask myself, is this guy cheating? You know, I mean, he's a huge guy. Is he is he using steroids? Is he is he pumping uh, something into his, his body that he's not supposed to be, like a Jose Canseco or a Mark McGuire? Who knows? You know, I mean, who who knows? But uh, it does it does make people leery because of how the rules have been broken now. And to me, uh, you know, certain laws that we have in general, even today, are under scrutiny. I mean, if you wanted to take this down a big rabbit hole, uh, you know, there's postmodernism that is trying to strike down natural law. It's trying to redefine gender. It's trying to redefine the sexes. It's trying to redefine truth as it is. And because of the, the attempts to negate natural law, 
uh, if we negate the need for law for human beings towards, is it like the wild? Is it going to be like the wild west again, where everything's that? If we're going to negate natural law, if we're going to negate certain things against civilization and society, and to expand into new horizons, what if find the truth as you need, as need be? That's a that's a very dicey territory. You're, you'll you'll regress, not progress, and divulge into. Uh, uh, this sort of anti-progressive space where everything is subjective again and the the necessity for law will eventually find itself. Eventually, the law will catch up with you. Eventually, it will catch up with you. Especially natural law will eventually catch up with people. As much as you try to lie and say that it doesn't exist, eventually it will catch up with you, as it does with the characters in this movie. I, I, I knew I'd find a way to segue back into it, guys, so... So thanks for hanging with me there. I, I, I'm going to find a way to, to get back into that point. But eventually it does catch up with, with Wyatt Earp. I mean, as much as he tries to run away from the law that he upheld and he was a peacemaker for, about more security for people and the protection of people, uh, it cannot build. And Josephine, who's one of the traveling actresses with them, who becomes the love interest of Wyatt Earp, this guy tried to bring something good into your quote-unquote ugly world. Uh, very interesting comment there is uh, she's this person, this artist, this uh, actress uh, who's bringing sort of this beauty into this space of lawlessness. This is something to be enjoyed, right? Like art is something to be enjoyed, uh, you know, acting, etc. The spaces of expression, these are things to be enjoyed. But can it actually be enjoyed without law, right? Can it actually be enjoyed to its fullest without the law? I mean, uh, if we completely throw the law out the out the door, what are we left with then? We're left with lawlessness, people behaving selfishly, doing whatever they subjectively feel is right. And she calls this an ugly space. It's very ugly. And I, and I think, again, this is a great example within the story that you, there is a necessity for law and order. Because without law and order, you can't have joy. And also, you cannot have beauty. Beauty is another part of joy. So by negating it completely, uh, you end up having things that are ugly in accordance with that. So another pretty powerful, I, I think, uh, line within the film and, uh, and just basically reinforces this idea that we've been talking about all through this episode. So in case you didn't get it yet, uh, the necessity for law and order is, is prevalent in the story of Tombstone. But as the, as the story, like I said, progresses and there's the uh, sort of, I don't want to say it's the climax, I know it's leading up to the climax. Uh, as history actually tells us, uh, between Virgil, Wyatt, and Morgan, uh, the shootout of the OK Corral happens. Several cowboys are killed um, after they've been threatening the lives of the Earps. Doc Holliday, along with Wyatt, Virgil, and Morgan, end up killing a few of them uh, and uh, prompts this revenge from the cowboys that actually does happen. The cowboys come in, uh, you know, late one night or whatever it is. Uh, they end up paralyzing the left arm of Virgil Earp. He loses the the ability to use his left arm, and they end up actually killing Morgan Earp. Now, this sets off another chain of events where, as Wyatt leaves town, but in doing so, he ends up getting a band of mercenaries together to essentially go and take down the cowboys. Now. This part of the film is, uh, I want to say, exaggerated. I don't know if Wyatt actually goes down and kills, you know, tens and scores of dozens of cowboys as part of this uh, 
movement to eliminate them. Uh, I, I didn't do enough research on it to really know for sure, but the film gives this sort of satisfying uh, climactic battle where Wyatt Earp leads a, this band of guys, uh, including Doc Holliday and a, f a few others, and actually two former cowboys, <clears throat> or three former cowboys, excuse me, who go with him to, to kill all these guys and presumably exacting revenge. But here's the interesting thing. Uh, Kilmer, again, who plays Doc Holliday during one of the scenes, is speaking with one of the other uh, one of the other gentlemen, part of Earp's gang, if you will. And uh, Holliday says, look, make no mistake, it's not revenge that it's a reckoning. Well, it means the sum of things have come to some way. Uh, Doc is alluding to the idea that what they're doing is bigger than missteps, the transgressions, the trespasses of the Cowboys, and Earp and his group are revenge, or not revenge, but judgment upon the actions of these lawless men. In the larger scope of the story, and why I wanted to do an episode on Law and Order uh, with this particular movie, is that's really kind of the theme throughout all this, is that the joy is gone, the, uh, the beauty is gone, because the law has been negated, and the only way to actually get the joy back, the only way to actually uh, get the beauty of the world back is to establish the law in its rightful place. And in order to do that, you have to eliminate those that would be lawless. And so Earp and his team are somehow impossible to overcome. There's a, it's a gang of five of them, and they're basically just running down, killing all these guys, these cowboys, as though they're unstoppable, as though they're wearing armor and they cannot be killed. Uh, so... The film portrays this. Uh, it actually does happen for some uh, measure of, of historical accuracy. It does happen in, 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 light, in real life that Earp does go out and, and kill many of these people uh, in order to uh, get proper, quote-unquote, justice for the death of his brother and for the, uh, uh, the affliction against his other brother, Virgil. So, so pretty interesting to me... Uh, theme without this uh, throughout this film because I think most people look at Tombstone and they say well it's got a lot of plucky one-liners Val Kilmer is fantastic as Doc Holliday uh, the ensemble cast is really good the the soundtrack is fantastic lots of big players in it to me being a writer and seeing this play throughout the entire film I mean it might go without needing to be said but this entire idea behind law and order and the joy that comes from keeping the law. I mean, it, it just runs throughout. And the players in this film, Wyatt Earp, Doc Holliday, and Curly Bill, Johnny Ringo, uh, the ones that essentially walk the line between it, uh, you know, all human beings are walking this fine line between what they will uphold in the law and what they will not uphold in the law. So Tombstone, to me, is a great example of this idea and this theme that, that I've um, hopefully beat into your, your brain during this episode that exists, that in order to have real joy as human beings, there is a desire to draw chaos into order, and not only to put chaos into order, but to have the law by which we can operate within in order to experience the maximum amount of joy. But then, if you really wanted to go down the rabbit hole of theology and philosophy, once that law is written upon your heart, the idea of needing the law really breaks down and uh, there is no longer a need for it, period. So 
big stuff there, of course, uh, and too much to go down there. I've already gone over the 20-minute mark on this episode, so I'm going to leave it at that. But I hope you enjoyed this episode of Tombstone. Uh, what am I saying? It's the episode of The Writer's Lens. <laughs> I just love this movie so much. So I hope you enjoyed this episode about Tombstone here on The Writer's Lens. This is J.C.L. Felter for The Writer's Lens. I'll catch up with you guys again soon. Thank you.